Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department. Let's see more. Michael Lester and you are listening to the Senior Times podcast. Now, back in the 1970s, something of a musical revolution took place when a bunch of like-minded young guys got together to fuse traditional Irish music with rock. They were indeed called Horselips and their impact on the scene was quite amazing in terms of album sales, live performances and so forth. Well, today I am delighted to be joined by one of the founding members of the group, Jim Lockhart. You mentioned something earlier on that reminded me of something. Uh, You talked about how you got together and this ad that you were doing and all that. But then I remember you guys appearing in an ad for orange juice or something. Miranda. 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 Miranda, yeah. I think it's still on sale in Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a a guy called Tiernan McBride uh, was approached by this soft drinks company who was part, they were part of Pepsi, I think, at the time. Um, and Tiernan. Tiernan was a really interesting character. He was one of the sort of first, foremost, like Irish film directors. He did mm, a lot of mm. ads. He did, you'll sometimes see uh, a clip that he did. It's about, it's whatever, five or six minutes long or eight minutes long, whatever the length of it is. Arthur McBride, um, Paul Brady's version of Arthur mm. McBride. Tiernan did uh, a kind of a video for that uh, with Godfrey Quigley as the as the sergeant. Great yeah. piece of filming. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Tiernan, um, who, as it happens, was a grandson of Sean McBride. Tiernan, Tiernan set up, uh, he reckoned, oh yeah, what he wanted to do was have a bunch of people jumping up and down, young people jumping up and down, and uh, a pop festival, which yeah, was a yeah. novel kind of concept in those days. Um, although it had, it had kind of spread out from uh, Woodstock, but it was still not something that you'd see every day of the week. Um, so he wanted a pop festival with people jumping up and down, yeah. waving bottles of Mirinda and having a great time. So he thought the only way to do it was to actually have a pop festival. So he set up a pop festival at the grounds of Ardmore Studios out on the back lot. Yeah. Uh, put up a stage, built a stage and had ourselves. And I think there was one or two other bands playing support. I can't remember who. And the only thing we had to do. So we played our normal set. Yeah. But just two or three times during it, we had to stop and say, OK, now we've got we want to get you to all sing along with this. And we said, play. We mimed it. We didn't sing this. Yeah, yeah. It was hey hey Miranda, so we we got them to jump up and down yeah. and sing along, and um, and it was great because out of that we bought the money for our, we got the money for our own PA, so we were able to have our own PA going around yeah. dance halls, which not that many people had. Sure, it's yeah. great. It was the great leap forward. Yeah. <laughs> really. I don't want to jump from one album to the other or get get too involved uh, in it because you made a lot of records through your your time together, and that. But just one thing that always struck me was the unfortunate cup of tea which was the title of one of your albums. Yeah. And I used to listen to it and thinking, where did they get that title from? You know, does it mean anything? <laughs> it's a real. All right, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. A, I mean, we were, we were, we used to, we picked up tunes from here, there and everywhere. Um, and one of the sources that we, we used a bit was O'Neill's Dance Music of Ireland. Mm. Captain Francis O'Neill was a captain in the Chicago police force. And um, there wasn't 
a comprehensive collection of dance music. There was collections like Bunting and Petrie and uh, P.W. Joyce who had collected songs and tunes, but the dance music was, was a bit kind of all over the place. Um, so O'Neill, who played flute himself, I think, worked his way up and became head of the police in Chicago. So what he did was anytime new people came into town from Ireland, uh, of which there were plenty, obviously, yes, yeah. at the end of the 19th century, um, if, if they had any tunes at all, if they played, he would give them a job on the police force. <laughs> and he had another, he had a sergeant also called O'Neill, no relation, and who was able to read and write music. And he would sit the two of them in a room and get your man to play all his tunes and get the other, the sergeant, <laughs> to sit down. down and write them all down. And through this and various other stratagems, he amassed what became known as O'Neill's 1001 Irish Dance Tunes. And it was published by Walton's and is still out there on sale. I think it's great. It's like the basic collection. And so one of the tunes in that was uh, The Unfortunate Cup of Tea. Now I know. <laughs> All good things come to an end, of course, and you guys decided that you had reached that point after huge success. What was that decision like? That was around, I think, 1980. 1980. Yeah. It was, 19, yeah. it was towards the end of 1980. And um, we had gone through a, a sort of dodgy period. We'd had our ups and downs. We'd had... Um, we, we, had a, we had a dip in the middle of the 70s as well, where we, we were without a record contract. We'd come, come up with a couple of not great albums. The Unfortunate Cup of Tea, I think, wasn't a great album. There was a couple of nice ideas on it, but it really underachieved. And so we had a year or two to go back and lick our wounds. And, and during that, we did um, Drive the Cold Winter Away, which yeah. was a really cheaply done acoustic album, traditional album, which put us back in touch with our roots. And we did a lot of research of... Um, I spent a lot of time down in Kevin Street Music Library in the couple of months before we did that um, and that was just it's its one of my favourite Horsehips albums mm-hmm. that and the Book of Invasions I just love the yes. feel of it because it's real sort of it's real raw and it's got medieval influences and it's got folky stuff and it's got just oddness going on so um, we had had a we had had a slump in the middle of the seventies and then uh, kind of picked it up again with the book of invasions. We got a got a new deal and then, uh, but then we began to kind of we were working too hard. Mm. Uh, we were like we were touring in America, we were touring in England, in Germany, and then we'd be back here and we'd be going around the dance halls. We saw um, actually it's in one of those it's in one of those uh, newsletters uh, a list of gigs for I don't know what year it would have been seventy eight probably seventy seven seventy eight seventy nine. Um, which includes gigs in Germany, England, yeah. and then like with one day's break, we're back into Thurles, Tullamore, every you know. Yes, like, yeah. Uh, so we were we were working. I don't know something like two hundred and fifty gigs a year. We were doing a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and it just eventually started to take its toll, and we just got tired, mm-hmm. and we were very much like a family because, um, Eamon had a younger brother, and I think he had some other further siblings away but he was he was a bit of a loner barry was the only boy among seven or eight but he was the only boy a bunch of sisters i was an only child charles had one sister who was much older Um, and johnny johnny was different johnny was was one of a large family but he was as far he was our baby he was the baby in the band but we were very much a kind of band of brothers and so we grew up a lot together we learned a lot we developed a lot um, and then we just, as happens with families, we just started to grow apart. Best mm-hmm. will in the world, shit mm-hmm. happens. Um, and so by the time we got to 1980, we thought, look, it's not, it's not so much fun anymore. Let's knock it on the head. And so we decided to 
and we finished up in the Ulster Hall in Belfast in around about November 1980, I think. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie. Doro, make friends with innovation. And then you jumped from all that into another, uh, in my view, rewarding career in RT, of course. Yeah. 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 I, I, I started, Barry and I started doing some stuff in TV, first of all, with the live mic mm. and um, doing stuff with Dermot Morgan and uh, various other odds and ends like that and, and the Glen Rowe theme. And then I started working in radio for about the mid 80s and uh, worked with everybody. Uh, Tony Fenton, Marty Whelan, uh, and then wound up doing Dave Fanning's program for a good while, uh, and stayed there until what ten years ago uh, was. Uh, but then, in the meantime, while that was all happening, um, we we had a kind of a, we had a horse lips comeback in two thousand, and we did a, we did an acoustic album rollback in mm-hmm. two thousand and four, two thousand and five, um, and then uh, you know the dates better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we. Um, having sworn we'd never actually be playing together on a stage again. Eamon, um, we had been asked lots, uh, and Shay Hennessy, our manager, uh, had said, you you know, you really should consider just getting back up and just doing it on stage. People would love it, you know. And um, he said, uh, uh, Dennis Desmond of MCD was, was talking to me. Dennis, Dennis would love to see you do it. And Dennis was involved with um, that rollback album. And at the same time we did rollback, we did a... Uh, a DVD I think oh no the DVD was later DVD was later um, Dennis Dennis just kept saying come on uh, put, get it together and Eamon had kind of said look I really don't want to put the drumming hat back on again yeah. um, and so we said okay that's it's not really it's not it's not up for grabs it's not not on the table it's not for discussion and one day he said look at um it's mad for you not to be taking this opportunity. I don't want to do it, but Johnny's brother, Ray, is a brilliant drummer. He's been drumming for years already at that stage with Riverdance, and then he was drumming yes. with Celtic Woman. Uh, he knew our stuff inside out because he had grown up with it. Um, he was family, effectively. Yes. And Eamon said, why don't you get Ray in? Uh, and so we asked Ray, and he jumped at the chance. Yeah. And so we, we went in. We went in, first of all, into the village in beside Whelan's in, in Wexford Street in Dublin uh, to do a couple of days, to do a week's rehearsal uh, with Eamon to sort of try it out because Ray was still working wherever he was. He was in... Ray used to be all over the place. Yeah. I remember doing uh, doing a Zoom in, in one of the one of the years that followed, um, checking in on Ray to see what he was at. And he was in a hotel room, so we were sort of chatting away yeah. on, uh, on the Zoom. And I said, by the way, where are you? And he kind of looked puzzled for a sec. And... Um, and he was in a hotel room, still in his kind of toweling, white yeah. toweling robe. He said, uh, hold, hold on a minute. And he got up and walked over to the other side of the room and checked on the sort of desk to see what the, the hotel note paper said. <laughs> came over. Cincinnati, we're in Cincinnati. <laughs> so he was all over the place. And Eamon, Eamon did this week of rehearsals with us in the village. And um, it went very well. And by the end, it was surprisingly, we really mm. surprised ourselves. And actually, no, 
I'll come back to it. There was another thing that happened before that. But by the end of the week, we were thinking, yeah, this is kind of okay. Maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll sit down and have a chat with Dennis Desmond and see maybe this thing might work, you know. And Pat McGuire, our roadie, came in with uh, with the Evening Herald, and he said, um, "It's too late for discussion." And there was a big ad, <laughs> horse lips in the O2. Don't miss it. Get your tickets now. But the thing that I almost forgot that had happened before that was sometime in the early two thousands, uh, two thousand three or something. I'm not sure exactly when it was. Three Uber fans in the north, um, Stephen Ferris and Jim Nealis and Paul Callan. Um, Stephen's from Ballymena, Paul's from um, Cavan and um, Cavan or Monaghan, and and uh, Jim Nealis is from Derry. And they had been when when the internet started. I mean, it's hard to believe that this happened at a time when the internet was starting. Anyway, the internet started. And people began to get in touch with each other and stuff began to surface that we had thought would never surface again. Sure. Um, and um, it turned out that th- the three of them had individually collected a whole bunch of horses' memorabilia. Stephen had a bunch of um, singles. No, Paul had the singles. Jim had a bunch of posters and Stephen had photographed something else. I don't know what. Uh, anyway, they were chatting about this and they said, if we put all our stuff together, we'd have the guts of an exhibition. Why don't we do a horses' exhibition? And uh, I remember they they came and asked us one time, you know, what what do you think about this if we if we got that together? I said, yeah, grand, yeah, why not? Never thinking that it would actually happen. Sure. And a year or two later, sure enough, what happens? We were invited up to the opening of this exhibition in Derry in the Columns Hall in Derry. An amazing amount of stuff, and like they had got posters framed, they had stuff in glass cases, they had um, Bar- Barry's shamrock base, they had. It's all sorts oh, of stuff, yeah. um, like Japanese singles, uh, you know, God knows what. Um, so that was the first time we had actually come together since we broke up in 1980, apart from when we were um, going through a legal procedure to get our copyrights back in, mm-hmm. in the High Court in Belfast. Long story there. That's another day's work. Anyway, we we decided, uh, we were invited up to the opening of the, the, the exhibition. And we thought it'd be very bad manners to go up. And if somebody says, would you give us a tune since yeah. you're there? And we, and we couldn't say, well, we, there's nothing practiced, you know. So we, we got together in this room, on this couch, um, uh, for a bit of a practice a week or two beforehand. And um, uh, I started playing furniture. So I started off with the, with the opening riff just on the flute. Yeah. And Johnny came in on the guitar. And I swear to God, like the hairs in the back of my neck just yeah. stood up. It was an extraordinary moment.
So we went up to went up to Derry, and they did say, "Would you do us a couple of tunes?" And we did four or five numbers, um, and it was lovely, and it felt really good. And so it was after that then that we did the acoustic album rollback, yeah. and then it was a couple of years after that again. We were asked to do other voices by Philip uh, King in Dingle, yeah. and then it was a year, couple of years after that again that we did um, the O2, the the sort of comeback gig in the O2, which was a great night off. Sure, it was brilliant. Out of which we got a DVD and a double CD, like live at the O2, and then we went on and did various other things, and um, did like uh, a a concert in was it the Ulster Hall or the Whitla Hall? It was the Whitla Hall, I think. Um, with the with the Ulster Orchestra, uh, Brian Bull, Brian Byrne, who's a great arranger and uh, film composer, uh, did some fabulous arrangements, string arrangements, well, orchestral arrangements for our stuff. Perfect. So we did that with them, and then we 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 did something similar with the uh, RTE Concert Orchestra in the concert hall here for a couple of nights, um, and then we did various other bits and pieces since then. So we've been kind of muckling along. We finally kind of. With, with people falling off the edge from time to time. Charles dropped out a couple of years ago before COVID and um, said he was lucky, he'd, he'd kind of done. So we, we, we stuttered along for a bit without him. Um, and then uh, at COVID, Johnny, Johnny sort of in the middle of COVID, Johnny said, look, I'm not really interested in getting back out again. Uh, and so we had a couple of kind of commitments that we felt we had to fulfill after yeah. COVID. And so we got a friend of ours called Fiat Moriarty, who I'd been on, did a thing a few years ago called um, Jingle Jangle, where we did me and me and Fake and Fake No Brain on, did this trip down the Royal Canal from Dublin to the Shannon on the Royal Canal. Um, so I knew Fake from that, and we got on well. He's a lovely guitar player. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. But we finally, as I say, we finally reckoned. Barry got a, a, a Lifetime Legend Award from the OES Centre, and that was presented to him at a, a gig with a lot of bands on it who were getting different other awards. Um, in the Ulster Hall appropriately enough finished up again in the Ulster Hall in Belfast yeah. and that was in November just before Christmas yeah but in actual fact as you sit here on the couch Jim in front of me beside you is this very impressive box set of you were showing them to me earlier yeah. CDs and photographs and posters and things like that tell me a little bit about that so it's called More Than You Can Chew and it's um, it's uh, brought out by an English record company called Madfish mm-hmm. and a friend of ours over the years called Colin Harper in Belfast who's a brilliant musician himself uh, and a writer very smart boy and a lovely character um, had come to us a good few years ago and said you really should do a kind of retrospective compilation of horse lip stuff I said ah, yeah, yeah 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 one of the days you know because yeah. like um, the, the pace of development in the horse lips ecosystem is glacial <laughs> uh, so eventually he he said look if you can dig up the stuff i'll listen through to it and i'll do some kind of curating process on it yes and um so he came back to us he spoke to madfish and said who do a lot of this kind of stuff they do like gentle giant and john male and loads of people like legacy acts from yes. the 60s 70s um uh, who are who have loads of stuff that people haven't heard sure Focus people like that, and um, he interest got them interested in it. And well, he, he the, the guy that he spoke to first of all said that's an interesting idea. And he went back and he spoke to their marketing manager. And the marketing manager, as it happened, had heard us um, at his college in Hull or Leeds or Leicester or somewhere in the 70s and really liked the band. And yes, was 
bowled over by the idea. So he said, yes, absolutely, let's do it. Um, so uh, once we kind of got the, the basic thing hammered out a bit, it was then a question of, of um, digging out materials. So mm -hmm. uh, we dug out... Uh, old rehearsal cassettes because we used to go off and lock ourselves in a house in the country where we'd be preparing for an album and spend a couple of weeks just working up material so i still had a lot of those cassettes i'd like seven or eight cassettes of really raw work in progress yeah. kind of stuff and loads of old cdrs uh of various tapes that we'd done like radio sessions and stuff like sure, that tv yeah. sessions and yeah. um, so there was lots of kind of unpublished or unavailable stuff
fair to him. I mean, I don't know how he maintained his sanity. <laughs> Listened through all of this and uh, tabulated it all. I went up to him one day during COVID and I said, I'll bring a bunch of stuff up to you. Uh, and he said, I'll, I'll come down and I'll meet you halfway from Belfast. He yes. was based in Belfast. So he came down and met me in Newry and there was nothing open because it was COVID. So I handed over to him in the car park in Newry. I'm sure it looked as if we were doing something very <laughs> <dodgy. nefarious. laughs> And he went off and he listened to the whole lot. And uh, Mark Cunningham, who had, uh, who was a friend and a fan of ours from a long time back in London, who had seen us when he was a kid in London and kind of got obsessed with the band and hadn't hadn't seen sense at any stage of the intervening period. Yes. He had done a book, uh, a sort of a band biography some years ago called Tall Tales. And so he was brought on board to oversee the design and to compile a couple of books about the recording of all this various stuff and also a lyricography. So what you've got in the box set, which is the result of all that whole process, which has been in the preparation for two years now. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it, it kind of, and it's a ton of weight. It's 32 CDs and two or three DVDs. Um, and so that's all of our official albums as they came out. Yes. But with the addition of um, rehearsal material and live material, radio sessions, TV sessions, um, plus Charles, Charles has had, had two solo albums of his own. One of those is in the set. Mm -hmm. And Barry had a solo album in the early 80s called Breaking Star Codes. So that's here. Um, Eamon and Johnny and Charles had a band in the 80s called The Host. And so their album is here, and plus a whole load of outtakes that Johnny and Eamon particularly, I think, were working on that I haven't even heard yet. Um, so there's like, there's eating and drinking in this stuff. Yeah. And then Mark came back with these two books. One lovely big thick book about, with loads of illustrations and loads of background about the recordings and the producers and whatnot, and another full book of lyrics. And then there's all sorts of odds and ends. There's photographs, signed photographs, and kind of a big gig poster. And um, and it's a ton of weight. It's a biceps developer, yeah. <laughs> and fans of horse tips, and there are plenty. Yeah. Uh, how do they get their hands on that? It's uh, Celticnote.com, from Celticnote.com. In the UK, it'd be available through Madfish. Celtic Note here, yeah. yeah. Celtic Note's website. So that's been a lovely project to be involved 100%. in as a kind of coda to the whole yeah. thing, you know. Well, the best to look with it, you'll have no problem getting rid of any Thank of that stuff, much. I can tell you. <laughs> Lovely to see um, you again. The only time I would have seen you was in passing in the corridor yeah. and RTE and all that kind of stuff. But uh, God, I remember so many of those horse tips gigs from, from my dance days. And You were and always a great supporter of ours. I yeah. mean, you were doing stuff in local radio in the West uh, or in local papers in the West. Mm -hmm before I ever remember seeing even an RTE. So we go back a long way. Oh, for sure we do. Well, you're, looking, said, horror, you're looking horror as well. I, I'd, say, I'd say it's more horror than well. But <laughs> <laughs> Jim, good health and happiness. And thank, thank you, you very, very much. much indeed for your time. And Volcano Earth, thank you. Oh,
Anwil phone poke nuawet, anwil knappi no fum nis orjawet. Nis eskale husaj, faker na phone intakatal gwin on cho egg daro. Anvon klishte is deni gidi gohan la hai glina agus taskina. Ta rod egen gogaktina. Tanismo olis egg daro.com